Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We are approaching the end of our study of the book of Hebrews. We're at the end of chapter 12 today. If you have a Bible, you could turn to it, Hebrews chapter 12. And if you need a Bible, we have some. So I think there's some on the back table there, and you should not be embarrassed to go get one if you need it. Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, we're, we're going to look at the last paragraph of that chapter, and then there's one chapter left. And Hebrews is a uh, rant on the greatness of Jesus Christ. Maybe I should use that word rant advisedly, I don't know, but in the text we're looking at today, and really the one we've been looking at for the last three weeks, the word rant kind of applies. It's kind of like the writer of the Hebrews is starting to yell a little, starting to say, don't you see? Because he's heard this news that there are people in the church, this is the church that consists mostly of Jewish people, Hebrews, that are considering a departure from Christ. And it's like he wants to grab them by the collar and go, are you crazy? He sort of can't believe he's hearing such a thing. And so, in the book of Hebrews, it sort of alternates between privilege and perseverance. In other words, he's saying, don't you see the exalted nature of the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't you see he's the living, eternal Son of God made flesh, the very Word of God incarnate, the speech of God himself? Don't you see that? Well, if you see that, pay attention. And so he goes sort of back and forth like, Jesus is so fantastic. You need to pay attention. 
How can you even consider leaving? Look, if you if someone doesn't have Jesus, they're lost. <clears throat> There's no avenue of repentance before God except Jesus. So if, if you give up Jesus, you give up that. You it's impossible for you to stand before God if you don't have Christ. That was chapter six. And he goes about how superior Christ is to Moses in chapter 3. And now, because of that, you better not miss the opportunity to stand in grace at the throne of God if you have Christ. If you, if you miss that opportunity, you're like the, the Jewish nation that stood at the threshold of the promised land and turned it down. That's chapter 3, chapter 4. He talks about Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice in the middle chapters. How it actually resolves the issue of sin, unlike the sacrifices of the Mosaic law. So to turn from Jesus to return to the Mosaic practice of Judaism is stepping backwards. How can you even think of such a thing? In Him you have the resolution of your sin. In His sacrifice that ends all sacrifices because it solves the problem once and for all. And those other sacrifices, by the way, were only shadows of His. Meant to point us to the real one. In chapter 11, we went through this long list of the Old Testament saints who received the testimony of God that they were righteous on the basis of their faith so that even in the Old Testament times, how were people justified before God? By grace, through faith, based on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way anyone has ever been redeemed. In those days, the Lord looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ. And so when Abel made his sacrifice, the Lord imputed the righteousness of the yet to come Messiah to him. And so they received the testimony as the language. And they all died waiting for his actual arrival. And so at the beginning of chapter 12, let us run with endurance. Those folks went their whole lives and never knew the concrete life of their Savior. We see Him. So, let us run with endurance. The race set before us, the race that has our eyes fixed on Him, the beginner, the initiator, and the finisher of our race, the race of faith in Christ. The Lord lived by faith, which we know very well from our study of the book of John. He always relied on God to live. So he's the, the leader of this race in which we run. And then we, we read uh, about looking out for each other in the race. And last time, we noticed that where we are is not at the foot, the foot of Sinai the law-giving place, but at the 
Mount Zion. The God with His people place. And the whole point of this whole discussion is please try to see clearly the unfathomable value of being in Christ. You cannot guess how good that is. You've experienced, even in this life, some of the benefits of that. But you have no idea how good it is. We have not come to the place where God says, do this or die. We have come to the place where God says, Christ has done it for you. Come on in. You are welcome. I am your Abba Father. And so the righteous judgment that should have been on you was on Him, and so you are welcome. And so we are reconciled to the living God, and in our being reconciled to the living God, we are alive for good. And so, because of this privilege, we can barely imagine, he says, see to it. (laughs) This is verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And in this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, created things. In order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See to it. See to it. That expression was used once before in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3. See to it. I just want to show you what what you were to see to in chapter 3. This is chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Oh, it's the same thing. The same thing he said, see to it in chapter 3. He's saying, see to it in chapter 12. Do not refuse the speaker, the one who's speaking. Well, that reminds me of some things earlier in the book of Hebrews too. Chapter 1 in particular, God after he spoke. Oh, there's some speaking. After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. The Lord Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, doesn't just speak for God. He's not just another prophet. He's the speech. He's the Word made flesh 
dwelling among us. He's the message, not just the messenger. He's spoken to us in His Son. God has spoken to us. God didn't just stay away. And He spoke to us not just in public service announcements made by prophets, but in the second person of the triune God actually becoming one of us. Only the eternal one could come up with such a plan. And so he speaks, see to it. See to it that you don't refuse him who's speaking. In chapter 2, verse 1, the writer says, for this reason we must pray, pay much closer attention to what we've heard. <laughs> Here's the thing I've said on various occasions as we've studied through the book of Hebrews. I don't know exactly what your problem is, but whatever your problem is, your problem is inadequate attention to Jesus. You might have a bunch of other problems, but that is the problem. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. What have we heard? The Son of God, the Word of God. So that we don't drift away from it. Oh, here we are again. The possibility of drifting away. And what the writer of Hebrews is noticing is that here in the church, there might be people who are right there and have never actually trusted themselves to Christ. And they might go away if they don't pay attention. If the words spoken through angels proved unalterable with every transgression and disobedience, received a just penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? See to it that you don't refuse him who's speaking. In chapter 3, in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the sent one, the apostle, and the high priest, the sacrifice maker of our confession. Consider Jesus. See to it that you don't refuse him who's speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Now, there's two moments here, and we're still talking about Sinai and Zion. We're still talking about the warning the earth-shaking warning. See to it. So, there's a warning then and there's a warning now. There's a difference in the place. That was a warning on earth. This is a warning from heaven. There's a difference in the scope of the warning. There's a shaking. <laughs> And in those days, the earth shook when God spoke around Sinai that, you remember, the people were so terrified, they said, don't let God talk to us anymore. You, you listen to him, Moses. Just tell us what he says. And then there's this promise of the shaking of heaven and earth, or we might say it like this, of all creation. Heaven is everything from here up, and earth is everything from here down. All things. 
There's a shaking coming. There's a difference in the scope of these shakings. One was kind of local around Mount Sinai. The other is everything. I don't know how he's going to shake the stars, but apparently that's what's promised here. And then there's two responses. They refused. Right after Sinai, right after they said, we'll do it. They marched up to the promised land. They sent the spies in. The spies came back, and they said, and 10 of the spies says, we can't do this. Two of them said, well, that's true. We can't, but God said he would. The people said, we can't. We won't. They refused. They refused the promise of the living God. They refused the promised land, all the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant. They turned them down. And the possibility here is someone here might turn down God's word. The result was they did not escape. Every person in the nation of Israel wandered for 40 years. They wandered for 40 years, and in that time, every last person in the whole population died and did not enter the promised land with two exceptions. The two spies who said we can. Even Moses, for a different reason, did not go into the land. So he says, look, if God shakes the earth and they don't get away with refusing to listen, Neither will anyone now who refuses him who is speaking. And then he says, his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, now I want you to hear that word promised, because <laughs> that's a funny word in this context, promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. How's that a promise? That sounds like a threat. Well, to figure out how this is a promise, we have to figure out that this is a quote. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. That's a quote from an Old Testament prophet. Maybe one you've never read because you have to really stick to your Bible reading plan <laughs> to get all the way to the book of Haggai because it's at the end of the Old Testament and it's tiny, it's two chapters. So it's possible that you've never read the book of Haggai and you don't, have no, you don't know the story of the book of Haggai, so I'm going to try to tell it to you right quick. In the book of Haggai, the opening chapter, chapter 1, the first eight verses basically, God's people had sort of begun to dwell in the land after the exile again, and they were taking care of business. And they were looking at, they were building their houses. And so, uh, we can read this. If you have a Bible, you might be able to find the book of Haggai. I might be able to find it. There it is. Here he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come, the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. They're saying it's not yet time to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Okay. 
So then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, it is time for you yourself, is, I'm sorry, it's a question. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? <laughs> in other words, here's what they were doing. They were up to, you know, putting the fancy paneling in their own houses, and they're still saying it's not time to rebuild the temple yet. This is the Lord's complaint. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. We put on clothes, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. He's saying there's a reason why you're not getting ahead, guys. Why you or just sort of barely getting by. Consider your ways, he says. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. So there's a couple of guys. One's a sort of a political leader. One of them is the high priest. There's Zerubbabel. It sounds like you're mispronouncing it even when you say it correctly. Zerubbabel. <laughs> and there's a... Joshua, who's the high priest. This is not the Joshua of Moses' day, okay? This is much, much later. And they pay attention to the Lord, and they get the people together, and they work on the temple. <clears throat> it says here in verse 14 of Haggai chapter 1, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, a high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. <clears throat> and then in chapter 2, the Lord responded with this promise. Chapter 2. Speak now to Zerubbabel. He said, the Lord says this to Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying this, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? The answer to that question is, there isn't anyone, by the way. But how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? <clears throat> But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Now remember, this is the temple in Jerusalem, the, the representation of Zion in this day and age. I am with you. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of the nations. And I will fill this house with glory. <clears throat> Verse 9, he goes on, the, later, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So this was a promise. This shaking was a promise. And the purpose of it is the judgment of nations. And the result of it is the people of God dwelling with God in Zion and the filling of the house of God, the temple of God, with worship. Well, not to mention peace. As we read in that passage in Ephesians, He Himself, the Lord Jesus, is our peace.
peace. So the purpose of this shaking, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. All right, so there's like some kind of sifting going on in God's eternal plan. Now, this hasn't happened yet, but it is the promise. And the people of God regarded as a promise. The writer of Hebrews calls it a promise and not a threat. And he's saying, don't disregard the promise. The shaking is coming that will vindicate God's people, that will vindicate God among His people. And it is a judgment on the nations. So, therefore, he says, let us show gratitude. Let us show gratitude. This, the word gratitude in the New Testament is interesting because it's related to the word grace. In English, before we eat, we say grace. That's how we describe giving thanks for what we're receiving. We call it saying grace. That's actually a biblical way of putting it, but you've got to think about that for a second. What's that mean? And here, showing gratitude is actually a translation of this phrase, have grace. Possess, get a hold of, great, except this is something we show. What does it mean, this show gratitude? It means gratitude is to possess and enjoy out loud the goodness of God's grace in Christ. I'm going to say that again because it might have been kind of complicated. It's to really grasp and to visibly enjoy the goodness of God's grace in Christ. That's showing gratitude. It is to celebrate knowing Him. It is to celebrate the reconciliation that we have in Christ to the living God, the eternal life that we have as a consequence of that. It's to enjoy the love of God and to do so in a way that shows. That's showing gratitude. That's having grace. He gives a couple of reasons why we should show this grace. And all of this is based on this promise that we have from Haggai about this future shaking. He says, <clears throat> why should we have grace? Well, first of all, he says, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Oh, so the shaking is a sorting of kingdoms. And the kingdom we're getting in our association with the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the, the, the kingdom we're receiving will not be shaken by this shaking. I was saying this song last week. We will not be moved. Now, the song is really kind of about determining in ourselves not to be, when the world gives us trouble, not to be moved away from Christ. Well, here's the thing. If you're in Christ, you can't be shaken loose from Christ. The kingdom we receive in Christ cannot be shaken. If you are one of His, you are one of His. And He says Himself, no one can snatch you from the Father's hand, and no one can snatch you from my hand. And if the Father has given you to me, I will raise you up on the last day. 
There's a kingdom that can't be shaken. And that kingdom, we have various names for it. One of them is the body of Christ. The one new man that we read about from Ephesians. That is our promise in him. So that's one reason to show gratitude. <laughs> I don't believe you can show enough gratitude. I don't think you can smile big enough for that. Some of you aren't smiling at all. But anyway, the, uh, the second reason, the second reason is our God is a consuming fire. Now, this is also an Old Testament quotation from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4, the prelude to the second delivery in Moses' speech where he delivers the law to the people who have been born during the wandering of, in the wilderness and now are entering the promised land. And Moses gives the law again to them. This is from the prelude of that speech, the introduction to that speech. And the point of this, our God is a consuming fire, is all about the first commandment. I think it's the first. No other gods. God is a jealous God, Moses says here. You shall have no other gods. And this, that chapter in Deuteronomy repeats this several times. The Lord is God and there is no other. Yahweh, the Lord, is there. He's God. There are no other gods. So don't have any other gods. And Moses, in this introduction points out to the people of Israel that as they go forward, there's a prophecy here that says they're going to forget about God and they're going to be led into captivity and they're going to be serving other gods. There are going to be some who refuse him who is speaking and at times the whole nation. And if you read the book of Judges, you'll see this roller coaster where God saves them. They, they do well. They, they do well, so they forget about God. And then God lets some other nation capture them, ruin, ruin them. <laughs> and they cry out to God. And as soon as they mention the name of God, he brings somebody who brings them back, and it's up and down and up and down. All of this is wrapped up in the promise that one day the anointed one of Israel will appear, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of David will appear, and he will bring them back once and for all for good. And that promise is also in chapter 4 of the book of Deuteronomy. He will bring you back. When you cry out to him, he'll hear you. Our God is a consuming fire. So those are the two reasons we're receiving an unshakable kingdom and God is a consuming fire. God is not a person to be messed with. How, he says, how, how do we show gratitude? He says it here. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Now there's... A bunch of words that just need defining there. 
First of all, a service. This is the word service, which means a service of worship. A worship service. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12 when he says, which is your spiritual or reasonable or logical, those three things kind of all mean the same thing in that instance, your spiritual service of worship, same word. We offer to God worship. Not just service, but acceptable service. You know, this also is the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12. (laughs) Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which sometimes is translated with a different English word, pleasing to God. This service of worship pleases God. This is the exact thing that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Well, that's like reading all of Hebrews, God's mercy. That's like noticing, oh, we're receiving the kingdom that can't be shaken, God's mercy. There's going to be a shaking, and we're not going to be shaken out of it. Mercy. On that basis, we offer to God an acceptable service, a pleasing service. God enjoys our worship. And when we say worship, we are not talking about singing with our eyes closed. or raising our hands, or any of the warm, fuzzy, worshipy things we like to think of when we use the word worship, no. Now, all of those things might happen as a consequence of actual worship, but anyone could do any of those things and not come anywhere near worship. Worship is present your bodies a living sacrifice, set apart. Pleasing to God. That's worship. On the basis of His mercy. Because you can't present yourself to God if He doesn't grant you mercy. If you come and present yourself to God and you are not the recipient of His mercy, you are the recipient of His judgment. There's only the two possibilities. And so we come to God in His mercy and we present our, I am yours. Worship. And honestly, if I understand God's mercy, I, I won't be able to do anything but that. And then he says, with reverence and awe. How do we show gratitude? How do we exhibit our experience of the good grace of God in Christ? in worship, in I am His, I belong to Him, I belong only to Him, I am for Him, I am created by Him, He has bought me by the precious blood of Christ, I am only His. And that's how I live. That's worship. God has in Christ claimed me and pronounced the righteousness of Christ upon me, which I received only by trusting in the promise of it. So I worship, I show gratitude with reverence and fear, awe. What's the reverence? Reverence was mentioned one other time in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 5, 
Speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard. He was heard because of his reverence. Same word. Because of his absolute commitment, his total respect. Here's what this means. Not my will, but yours. Jesus understood what he was about to do. So he prays any way, if there's any way, if there's any way, but your will is best for me. Your plan is the plan I'm on and will stick to. Reverence. Utter, utter respect, submission to the Father. Utter. And this says he was heard. <clears throat> we often think he was not heard. We think Jesus prays, Lord, get me out of this, and the Lord says no. This says he was heard. How was he heard? How was he saved from death? Resurrection. Resurrection. Jesus was saved through death into resurrection. He revered the Father and the plan of the triune God so completely, he trusted in the Father all the way. There's nothing he can do when he's dead. He trusts the Father for the promise of the resurrection, and so do you. So do you. And so with reverence is that all in thing. It's to say, I'm his, of course. I mean, I'd be a fool to do otherwise. And then with fear, <laughs> because our God is a consuming fire. Is this telling you you should be afraid of God? Well, in a certain respect, yes. But you have nothing to fear of the judgment of God if you are in Christ. You can stand before God, your Abba Father, and talk to Him like your dad about anything, about all the dumb things that worry you. <clears throat> so what is this fear, this awe? I think of it like this. It's the fear of the narrow escape. It's the understanding that the gravity of the shaking and that I am given the kingdom that wasn't shaken out. It's just like the fear of standing next to the Grand Canyon or something. <coughs> it's it's recognizing <clears throat> the danger and the escape. <clears throat> it's the fear of the narrow escape. <clears throat> Have you ever almost died? Like in an accident? I remember this when I was a child for some reason, riding my bicycle. And I think more than once I was riding my bicycle down the street and almost got run over by some car or truck. You know that. <gasps> so it's 
this sort of fear and rejoicing together. So we show gratitude. We've received the kingdom that can't be shaken from the God who is the consuming fire. So we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. Now, I'm out of time, so I just want to very briefly say, in the middle of this, there's a priority in the, on the temple of God. In that story, building the temple. Where's the temple? Right here. Ephesians chapter 2, the end of the chapter. God is built, we think we read it, God is building us into a dwelling place of God. We, the church, the body, are the temple of God. That's repeated, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What are the unshakable things? Two things. The Word of God and the people of God. Those are the things that survive all judgment. Those are the things that aren't shaken when everything else is. The Word of God and the church, God's people. See to it <laughs> that you don't refuse Him who's speaking. Think about each other. We've, read, we've been exhorted in this way already in, the chapter, in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews. I hope you can see the greatness of God's mercy and grace in Christ. And I hope you cast yourself on Him. Father, thank You for this great Word, this amazing privilege to know You, to know Christ. Lord, we pray for the work of the Spirit in us and among us that we might be the people who show gratitude, who enjoy the goodness of Your grace in a visible way that the people around us might see the goodness of Your grace in our thanksgiving. Lord, help us to find ways to let it show. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.